Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you meet me in John chapter 8? John chapter 8, verse 31 through verse 38 is where we'll be in God's Word together this morning. Uh, as, as Sam mentioned, uh, I'm Evan, one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be able to, to gather and worship the Lord uh, this morning. Uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, we just started a, a sermon series in the Gospel of John entitled Signposts. Signposts are, are helpful uh, when you're disoriented and, and turned around. Uh, they, they point you to where you need to be going. And we're in this sermon series because we want to take various ideas that are prominent in culture and pull signposts from John's Gospel to help us look to the Lord uh, in our world that needs hope and redemption. Uh, and this morning we will look at freedom. Freedom. Uh, everyone on some level wants to experience freedom. And the gospel helps us understand what it truly is and how to truly attain it. So we're going to, to look at true freedom uh, this morning. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand to give attention to God's word as we read John chapter 8, verse 31 through verse 38. Uh, hear now the word of the Lord. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? I want to thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Thank you that in your mercy you allow us to know you, to hear from you, to serve you. Lord, thank you that when we open your word, you open your mouth and you, you speak. And so I ask, Lord, that as I speak to the ear, you would speak to the heart and transform lives. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thousands of Chinese Christians were imprisoned and killed in what is known as the Boxer Rebellion. In the 1890s, there was a nationwide effort to snuff out any foreign influences in China that were political, cultural, economic, or religious. The rebellion itself was relatively short, but the intense persecution that followed persisted for years. 
most notably under the communist leadership of Mao Zedong. A young man who was a Christian evangelist who called himself Epaphras refused to show his allegiance to the Communist Party. He refused to sing the Communist Party songs. He refused to salute Chairman Mao's picture. He refused to bow the knee to anyone other than Jesus Christ. Epaphras was arrested and sentenced to life in prison. He was there for decades. And he viewed his imprisonment as a blessing from the Lord. A few years after Chairman Mao died, Epaphras was surprised that prison officials decided to release him from prison. He was 62 years old at the time. He discovered upon his release that the reason he was set free was because someone changed his record to show he had recounted, recanted his belief in Jesus. When he discovered this, Epaphras rented a room near the prison gates and kept himself under house arrest and fasted five days a week. He did this for about 15 years. At the end of his life, in his late 70s, Epaphras was interviewed uh, for a documentary by the organization China Soul for Christ Foundation. They asked him why he decided to live out his days under voluntary house arrest. And he told them, if I stay in jail, they will know I haven't recanted. And if I die from fasting and living under arrest, I get to die as a criminal, just like my Lord Jesus Christ. It was an astonishing statement. And Epaphras wanted to make clear to the world how he understood true freedom. Freedom for him was, was not determined by the bars and the cell. Freedom was living for Christ. Freedom is one of those notions that, that people long for. We want to be free. Uh, I would dare say that we live our lives intuitively seeking freedom. Living in America, we have some strong ideas about freedom here. I mean, this is America, the, the home of the brave and the land of the free. In our Declaration of Independence, we, we stand on the reality that we have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The First Amendment of our Constitution guarantees freedom, freedom of speech, religion, assembly, so on and so forth. We value freedom here. But freedom has also been a source of conflict here. I mean, our, our greatest and bloodiest of battles have been pertained to fundamental disagreements about freedom. Hence, we declared our independence. We're free. We have also dehumanized people as an act of denial of their freedom. And we've never actually all been in agreement about what it means to be free. How should we as Christians understand freedom? How should we understand its source, its direction, its purpose? 
I mean, we all have ideas, don't we? I mean, it was the great theologian Beyonce who said, freedom, freedom, I can't move, freedom, cut me loose, singing freedom, freedom, where are you? Because I need freedom too, I break chains all by myself. Or perhaps you know the words of the great theologian Elsa from Frozen who famously said, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I am free, let it go, let it go. What does it mean to be liberated, free? We, we might use the same word, but that does not mean we have the same understanding. We see that predicament in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is arguably the most offensive chapter in all of John's gospel. When you read it in its entirety, you see that Jesus is striking at the heart of conceptions of freedom. He's confronting and offering strong opinions about it, which is really reflective of the book as a whole. Uh, in every interaction that John, the gospel writer, reports, he's trying to show the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not writing to show Jesus as a good teacher. He's not writing to show Jesus as a moral exemplar. John, frankly, all the gospel writers in one way or another, is writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's John 20, 31. John begins his gospel in chapter 1 with 18 verses of basically setting up the framework for this entire book. He spends 18 verses saying, this is how I want you to read my words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is clear. John is focused spends several chapters giving a backdrop of every word in this gospel. And he's front-loading all of that so that you can understand, among other things, the fundamental disconnect that people keep having when they encounter Jesus. In particular, the Jewish people. The Jewish people didn't know what to do with him because he kept subverting their expectations about God and the implications of God. It's important to note that because that's what Jesus does to all of us, with everyone. He, he takes our expectations and presuppositions about who he is and how we think he should operate, and he disrupts it so that we can truly see him and follow him. In John 8, we see Jesus disrupting. After a long discourse talking about how he is the light of the world, verse 30 and verse 31 say, some people believed. And I would think that's a win. Uh, Jesus preached and some believed him. I would be excited about that. But by the end of the chapter, they have called him demon-possessed. And in verse 59, it says that they picked up stones to throw at him. So it's not quite the belief that Jesus is aiming for. In this chapter, Jesus is, is putting on display the difference between profession of faith and possession of faith. These Jews, they, they professed to believe, but Jesus causes disruption to expose what they really believe. He says in verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
And that right there is a sermon all by itself. Jesus says a lot in just this one sentence. And in it, he's showing what it really means to possess faith. He's saying true belief means you abide in my word and submit your life to it as a disciple. And the consequence of this abiding and submitting is twofold. You will know truth and it will set you free. And therein lies the offensive nature of the gospel. What or who determines truth for you? One of the great lies we believe in America is that we hold truth to be self-evident. It's not. It, it never has been. And I'm not talking about these simple truths like two plus two equals four. Yes, that's self-evident. But I'm talking about truth that we know explains our very nature of being, our, our purpose, what drives us. It's what people mean when they say you should live your truth. That's untenable and not fully possible because living your truth in a society assumes that your truth should be represented in a society. And that's not necessarily the case. For example, in 1845, Frederick Douglass wrote these words. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible difference. So why that to receive the one as good, pure, and holy is of necessity to reject the other as bad, corrupt, and wicked. Frederick Douglass, he opened his Bible, abided in the word of God, saw a clear condemnation of chattel slavery, yet when he lifted his eyes and saw the religion around him, he came to the conclusion, one of these is not true. These truths cannot coexist. And I would imagine in this room, we would not tell a slaveholder to live their truth. It doesn't hold up. And history shows us that truth that matters, that matters most, is, is not self-evident. That there must be an appeal to something or someone higher than both of us when we make the claim that something is true. Douglas and Jesus point to God through his word. As John 5.39 says, God's word bears witness about Jesus. The, the scriptures express the truth of who he is. Why does that matter? Because of freedom. Jesus in this passage ties truth to freedom. Truth will set you free. And Jesus offends with this statement. Why? If everyone wants to be free, why is that statement so offensive? It's only offensive if you look to yourself or anything other than Jesus to define freedom for you. If you believe the lie that you can just look inside yourself and define truth on your own, you will be offended by Jesus because he does not give us that option. For these Jews, they, they looked to themselves. They looked inside themselves and they saw their ethnic heritage. Verse 33, they say, 
We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Now stop right there. Because that could be a confusing statement if you know the history of the people of Abraham. The descendants of Abraham actually experienced a lot of enslavement. From Egypt, from Assyria, from Babylon, Persia, Greece, and even now as they're having the conversation with Jesus, Rome is in power. For centuries they have actually not been free. So what do they mean here? Surely they know their history. Surely they know the current cultural climate they're in. When they are saying they are offspring of Abraham, they have never been enslaved, they're talking about a truth that explains the very nature of their reality. They're making a statement of allegiance. They, they have never been in allegiance to Rome or any other superpower that seeks to control. The God of Abraham supersedes any superpower in the world. Amen to that. But, but here's where things got off track for these Jews. When they started looking to their ethnic heritage instead of the God of their heritage. John the Baptist calls this out in Matthew 3, 9, when he says to the Jewish people, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. The problem with the Jewish people is that they conflated their background with their obedience. Some of them started to believe that simply because they could trace their lineage to Abraham, that that's all they needed to be in good standing with God. And John the Baptist and Jesus makes clear that's not true. You still have to obey. Verse 34, Jesus lets them know, you are in sin. You are not free. No matter what you believe about your heritage, your experience, your abilities, no matter what you believe about self-determinism or self-reliance, sin enslaves you. What is sin? Sin is anything that is out of alignment with God's desires or his ways. Sin is anything out of alignment with God's desires or his ways. And by that definition, sin is everywhere. And it has touched everyone. And Jesus is making the point, what sin touches, it enslaves. And some of us can, can feel it. Even if we can't put words to it, you, you know this world is not utopia. You, you, you know it's, it's not paradise. You, you know that you are not perfect. And you may think that you can will yourself or think yourself or actualize yourself into perfection, and you can't. That's why we persist in, in harming one another. It's, it's why we persist in being crippled by fear to the point where we can't even breathe. It's why we persist in dehumanizing and marginalizing. It's why we persist in feeling so overwhelmed by sorrow that we can barely get out of bed. It's, it's why some of us can't seem to put down the bottle or, or the substance, substance. It's why some of us can't let go of the anger. There, there's an aching that won't stop. It keeps going. And you feel it, don't you? All 
creation is groaning for redemption. And everyone seems to be searching for a solution. Is the solution in politics? Is it in the job market? Is it in the nonprofit sector? Is it, is it in positivity culture? Jesus is saying, you will never find the solution in the same place where the problem is. Sin corrupts everything. And so Jesus provides a solution. In verse 35 and 36. In verse 35 and 36, Jesus provided the source and the center of freedom. He says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. Jesus is saying, when, when you're a slave, you're, you're, you're never at home. You, you never get to decide where you stay or how long you stay there. And he continues, the, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's an amen verse right there. You know, some verses just preach themselves. Jesus is putting before this group two types of freedom. The lie of freedom under sin or the truth of freedom under Jesus Christ. He, he's showing the options of allegiance. You will be loyal to something, to either sin or the Lord. I love how Dr. Tony Evans defines freedom. He says, freedom is release from illegitimate bondage so that you can experience becoming what you were created and redeemed to be. That definition points us to the source and the center of freedom. True freedom comes from Christ. He's the source. But he is also the center. The freedom is not centered around us. It's not centered on the ability to do whatever we want to do. We are set free so that we can do what God wants us to do for his glory. And we can't actually do that on our own. We have neither the desire nor the ability to do it on our own. We need the Son of God to set us free. Ah, but there's good news this morning. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I wonder this morning if anybody knows something about that good news. I mean, does anybody know something about the power of the cross? You can say amen right there. So some of y'all new to the church. We try to be cross-cultural. That means when a black preacher's preaching, you say amen when he's talking. There you go. That's your introduction right there. That's orientation to black preaching. Jesus, he went to the cross and died for our sins. Insert amen here. He purchased our freedom. Amen. He looked beyond our faults and sought all of our needs. And now we can say with a songwriter, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? 
whole again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Does anybody know something about that blood? Does anybody know something about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to set us free? We can say amen to that. We can praise the Lord for that because the blood has set us free indeed. And when you know you're free, you know who woke you up this morning. When, when you know you're free, you know who put food on your table. You know who brought, who brought joy to your day when you know you're free indeed. God is an amazing God. He wants to set his people free. And the, and the prominent image the image that God gives us, we see it throughout Scripture, but in particular in the New Testament, is an image of God as our Father. You see it here in this passage. A father is an image of both intimacy and authority. It's echoes of John chapter 1, verse 12 that, that says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's good news because we are set free from the burden of being our ultimate authority. We have a father that, that loves us, that, that cares for us and never leaves us or forsakes us. And, and he has a better response to the brokenness of this world. He has a better signpost for us. As the songwriter says, this is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, he is the ruler yet. That's good news, amen? But here's the offense. The offensive part is you have to surrender. It, it means more than profession of faith. It means possession. And the posture of possession is surrender. When we proclaim Jesus is Lord, that's a statement of surrender. It's, it's not a statement of co-captaining for our lives. The people in this story, they, they couldn't take it. By, by the end of the chapter, they were ready to stone Jesus. Because becoming a true disciple of Jesus is a takeover, not an add-on. But we all long for freedom. So the question is, which freedom will we take that's being offered to us? The freedom that leads to life or the freedom that leads to death? My niece used to be obsessed with Frosted Flakes. Uh, my, my brother couldn't start the day for my niece without a hearty bowl of Frosted Flakes. Amen. 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 <laughs> She, she, she would get dressed and she would come down for the day after uh, doing her morning routine. She would sit at the table in the kitchen and she would sit and say, I want my Frosted Flakes now. My brother would pull out that beautiful blue box and, with that cartoon tiger on it. And, and he would pour what felt like for my niece, his daughter, flakes of heaven coming down, pouring into this bowl. 
my brother decided to make a switch for the cereal. Uh, he decided to, to buy just a big plastic container to put the Frosted Flakes in because the cereal would preserve longer and the container was bigger. So, so he's trying to maximize the Frosted Flakes experience. My niece did not appreciate this. One day she came down from her room, sat at the breakfast table, said to my brother, her dad, I, I want my Frosted Flakes now. And when my brother pulled out this plastic container, she lost it. She was devastated. This is not the box that is blue. This is not the box with the cartoon tiger. This is not my Frosted Flakes. And she starts crying and screaming. She goes, Baby Hulk on them. Where's my Frosted Flakes? Some of y'all know about Baby Hulk. Uh, she's devastated. And my brother keeps reassuring her, this is your Frosted Flakes. I just put it in a different box. But she couldn't understand. What she was longing for, her, her father was trying to offer it to her. But, but because she couldn't let go of what she expected, even demanded the packaging of her cereal to be, she couldn't receive what she'd been longing for all along. Jesus, he, he offers, if you have the son, you will be free indeed. But will you trust that your father, who rules and reigns in this broken world, has offered it to you in just the right packaging for you? Brothers and sisters, may it be so that we would receive our Father's freedom through his Son for our good and for his glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we confess that we struggle to receive the truth you have for us. We struggle because of what it might mean for us. That if we surrender, we will lose control. And that's scary. It's scary to lose control in a broken world. But who better to have control than the one who created us? Lord, would you give us faith to trust your truth that we might experience a better freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.